0: Thank you guys for being here today. This is our 16th. It's, wait, for a person, when they get another age, it's a birthday for sure. But like for like a church, is this our birthday or anniversary? Okay, we're we're going to call it a birthday, right? So can I say happy birthday to you guys? Thank you for being a part of our church family. This has been awesome. 16 years ago this morning, uh, we took all of the seats out of my Oldsmobile silhouette on Seaver Street and put in everything Grace Church owned in the back of that minivan. Drove it to the Holiday Inn in Brockton. How many of you guys know where the Holiday Inn is by the, by the mall? Westgate Mall next to Dick's. You guys know where that is? All right. So we we met in there. Uh, We had started actually as a Bible study the the previous February. So it's February in 2005. Uh, Our neighbors at the end of 2004 had a friend of theirs attempt suicide. And she goes, My neighbor knows God. I'll be right back. And then she knocks on my door and she says, Hey, uh, my friend attempted suicide. And I told her she needed God. Would you go tell her about God? I'm like, Oh, crap. I'm not a pastor. At the time, I was a volunteer assistant pastor on the west side of the city uh, and a professor at a Bible college. didn't even move up here uh, to be a pastor of a church. Moved up here to teach at a college. We thought church planting might be on our radar someday. Uh, but if we ever started a church, it would be in the city. Because like if you, you know, starting a church in Boston, it's going to be like in the city. Um, but our budget was $300,000. And the only thing you could buy for $300,000 in 2001 in, in Boston was a crack house. And so I started selling crack. And that's how we paid for the church plant. There you go. In the name of Jesus, we will redeem that. Right? I'm just kidding. That's horribly, horribly true. Um, not true at all. True at all. Well, remember, we pulled up to this one house. It was. Uh, it had six foot high chain link fence all around it. Only one side of the house was was boarded up, and it was only tagged a little bit. Right? And then I told my wife we're sitting in the parking lot, and it's like two ninety nine, nine ninety nine. And uh, again, this is twenty years ago. And I go, "Well, we can make this work." And then Billy Jane slaps her like she goes. Oh, crap. And then just started crying. And I was like, ah, well, I guess we're never going to start a church because we're not going to live in the city. So we ended up in Stoughton, um, not because it was like, hey, man, this is like the most strategic place to go start a church. Uh, we moved to Stoughton because it was two hundred and seventy-three thousand dollars. That's why we moved into Stoughton, as it was under. It had three bedrooms and one and a half bath, and it had a wraparound porch. So, like, it, was, it had a couple of cool, cute things about it. It's still knob and tubing wire and horsehair plaster, but it's a lifelong project of love, is what this is. And anyway, uh, so our so our we went to the Brockton Hospital, Good Good Sam's, and we're like on the fourth floor, and. Uh, um, my neighbor said to her friend, you need to be in a Bible study. And I'm like, holy crap, she's like really aggressive here, right? Uh, you need to be in a Bible study. If Sean and Billy Jane started a Bible study, would you go to it? And she goes, uh, yeah, if you and your husband Glenn will go. And she goes, okay, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> now I guess we're starting a Bible study. Right, so I went to my pastor and I, I said, "Hey, man, this Bible study is growing. What do I do with this?" He says, "Hey, we're going to sponsor you. We're going to sponsor you to be a new church. We want to help you guys do this." So that was awesome. So that's how. So our so they actually handed us off to uh, Cape Cod Church on in East Falmouth. Is our mama church, right? Uh, like people reproduce people, churches reproduce churches. When churches aren't started by other churches, that's where cults come from. Just so you guys know that. <laughs> Uh, so our, our mama church is Cape Cod Church in East Falmouth, and um, uh, so we started in that February. So that was October when we had that conversation at Good Sam's, and then she said, uh, you need to be, uh, well, you start this Bible study, but we didn't start the Bible study until February because I was like, who, who, who just starts a church in the living. That just seems like a really culty thing to do. So I did. I was like, I'm not like, that's weird. I don't, It's like, but they were like, so when are we going to do this Bible study? So when are we going to do this Bible study? So when are we going to do this Bible study? like, crap, I guess I'm actually going to have to do this. So uh, we started the Bible study and they didn't even come the first week. <laughs> it was my wife and I and two of the college guys that I taught and their girlfriends. Uh, Brian Buford's girlfriend, and then Mark and, and Sarah, and, and Brian's girlfriend dumped him on the third week, so we lost 17% of our church before we ever got started. Now, I said that to Brian again last night, and he goes, now, for the record, I dumped her. And I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. History revisionist. There's nobody around to like dispute that claim anyway. So he said she said and she's in Ohio. So it doesn't matter what she says, I guess, anymore. But so it was, uh, it was November 6th, uh, 2005 at the Holiday Inn. There's about 35 people that were coming to the Friday night and Saturday night Bible study because once we had about 20 people in our living room. If you've ever been to our house, it's 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 not a each floor is 625 square feet, so like it's it's not a gigantic house or anything like that. Uh, it, it's the it's the it was built in 1919. Uh, and I think it's the it, it it might be the newest house on my <laughs> on my street. All the houses on my street are ancient. Um, anyway, um, so we had 70 people show up for that first Sunday. We're like 70 people, like we're killing it. Next week, 140. Week after that, 280. Week after that, 560. And if I do any more weeks, I'm gonna have to take out a piece of paper for the math. But right, so I was thinking this is gonna like we're gonna kill it. So it was like 70 the first week. The next week we had 35. And then by Christmas, we built it all the way up to 19. So we were crushing it, and uh, it, it's, it's been awesome. I, we don't have a lot of pictures from that first Sunday, uh, actually, from the first year, because at the end of that year, uh, we packed everything into the, the minivan and took it back to my garage before we remembered that we left the laptop back at the Holiday Inn. When we went back to the Holiday Inn, it was gone. So we lost a lot of the pictures from our... The only pictures we have from that first year are pictures that other people took that weren't like the people like making everything happen every week. And we also lost the first two years worth of baby pictures of my son, Ryan. He was on the... Right? Like, that's the sad part. It's like we don't, have, we, we don't have any of his, well, we have a like, I don't know, it's like 10 pictures of him from that first two years because all, it was all on that laptop. But this is my family 16 years ago today. Um, can you guys see that? You guys can see that right there, right? Uh, so uh, that's Billy Jane, you can tell because she still looks exactly the same. And uh, then there's, the, you've <laughs> Greg Lewis goes, who's that ugly dude with your wife? And I was like, you're a jerk. Uh, So that's Ryan that I'm holding right now. Ryan's now a freshman in college, right there. And then that's Garrett and Lauren. And Garrett and Lauren uh, both have gotten married to people who came to faith in Jesus here at Grace Church, by the way, and they live out of state because they're running from the Lord. So (laughs) pray for them to move home, at least by the time they start having babies. In the name of Jesus, somebody preach. All right. All right. So uh, at year three, we were running about 85 people. We were at the Holiday Inn for a year, then we were at Lombardo's for a year. You guys know where Lombardo's is on exit five on 128? I don't know if it's exit five anymore. They changed all the numbers, so now we don't know where anything is, Right. Uh, so uh, Lombardo's is the big chandelier in North Randolph, right as you get on the highway there. So uh, we were there for a year, and then uh, we found uh, a six thousand square foot warehouse space. Uh, just if you if you when you leave here, go up to the top by the Duncan, and then turn right and go under Route Twenty Four. When you come up around the corner, there's a uh, there's a, the Lappins Business Center is right before the Hampton Inn, and that's what we were we were the far right far right unit. We were there for six years. Uh, then we, then we uh, well, in our third year, we had 75 people, 85 people, and 15 of them were coming from Quincy, and they couldn't get any of their friends to come with them, uh, because they were like, it's all the way over in Stoughton. I'm like, it's 4.8 miles away, but to a New Englander, right, like we have the parish mentality. The parish mentality is that uh, you go to church in your town. If you don't like your church, you wait till your priest dies, retires, or is transferred, but the idea of going to the Catholic church two minutes away, if it's in the other town, doesn't cross anybody's mind right? Like you just don't go to church in that town because you don't live in that town. So that affects all the other churches in the area, all the other denominations and religions. So they were like, it's only a 15-minute drive, but because you had to get on the highway, go past Braintree, go past Randolph, past Canton on the right, right, then to get off at that exit, is it like it's so far away. So we knew that if they were going to give their friends the best chance to know and follow Jesus, we were going to have to start a church over there. So 15 people spun out to go start Life Community Church. One of the churches that were helping us pay the bills in the first uh, five years, by the way, all of our church's bills were paid for, like at the, at the very beginning until our church could get on its own two feet, uh, were paid for by other churches. So that's why we feel this huge responsibility to help other churches get started and to help them go on, too, because so many others have done so much for us. Uh, But um, so we spun them out. I had a church that said, we're not going to support your church anymore. And I said, why? And he said, "Uh, because your church is a baby church, and we don't think babies ought to be giving birth to babies. And I was like, biologically, that makes complete sense. But you know, we're not actually a baby. Like, we're a church, and this is what churches do. But I felt it was a test that if God could trust us to be generous with 85 people, God might someday allow us to be, uh, he might trust us with 850 people. But if we couldn't be generous with 85 people, there's no way in the world God would give us more people to mislead, to mismanage, right? If you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with. But if you're unfaithful with little, you'll also be unfaithful with. Like churches, you can't wait until your church is big enough until your church has enough money to like to like start other churches, man. Like you, as soon as you got people and a pastor to lead it, bro, send them out. That was our, our mentality. So at year six, we started our second baby church out of our church. At year nine, we started another baby church out of our church. We wanted to do one every other year, but we failed. It only was every three years instead of every two years right? Like if you're going to fail, dang it, fail forward, right? That's that's the way it should be. At year 11, uh, Taylor, our youth pastor, comes up to me and he goes, I feel like God wants us to start a church too. And I'm like, crap, I said, where? He said, Braintree. And I was like, that's awesome. I think we can get a lot of people to go with you. And he said, but I don't want to leave Grace Church. And I was like, well, how is that going to work? He goes, I want to start our church over there, but I still want it to be a part of Grace Church. I don't want to do anything different. And he says, and I want to be the pastor. I just want you to preach for me. So I was like, okay. Well, <laughs> So that's, that's how Braintree ended up the way that it is. And that was just the way that God had, the, had put the dream in Taylor and Nicole's heart. And they've been And like, like eight months after that, Stephen Sargent came up here to start Bridge Church, in the Bridgewaters, and uh, that, but after he was on staff for six months doing the residency, he said, "Actually, I, I don't, I don't like. I can't think of anything I would want to do different. I love like the vibe. I love what you guys are doing. I love the the core values. I like. I love. I want to stay on the team." He says, "But I don't, I don't, I don't want you preaching either." So, but he goes, "But I want to be on a, I want to be a Grace Church." He said, "If I do that, I think I can get more of your people to leave and come with me." And I'm like, "Crap, you're smart, right?" So. He did, he got like 160 people to leave this location and go down to that location. And by the way, we're okay with anybody leaving Grace Church anytime God puts it on your heart On one condition. You go help another baby church get going right? Or a struggling church, get healthy again. You leave to go help another church, help more people find and follow Jesus. Not only will we send you with our blessings, we might even financially help that baby church if they're a good one, right? So uh, so they, they spun out. Then we got to start Resurrect Church in Brockton last year with Rob Connolly. And uh, I got some really exciting, then Jason Cross is on our staff right now. He's doing a one-year church plant residency. He's going to be starting Captured Heart Church uh, in Randolph. Now, Randolph is just, if you go the back roads, go up to the Dunkin' Donuts, turn left and go over to 18 and turn left again. You don't even have to cross the highway to go to Randolph. Somebody's like, well, that's, that church is only going to be like five minutes away from you. Why would you guys start it? Because the truth is, like every town in New England is spiritually under-resourced. And if God wanted everybody in that town to come to faith in Jesus, there just isn't enough churches around. So we need more healthy churches, right? Like the more churches there are, I don't think we take from each other, especially for reaching people who ain't in any church at all. Are you with me? So we're going to help them get started. And I've got some really exciting news. And this is my first time to kind of tell everybody here at Grace Church. Are you ready for this? Pastor Ken, the location pastor here, is leaving. And he's going to be starting Grace Church Holbrook in the next three months. Isn't that awesome? That's exciting. There's a church there called Winthrop Congregational Church that has been there uh, since 1818. Uh, That church was started out of the church that John Adams, President John Adams, the second president of the United States, this church was started out of John Adams' church while John Adams was still alive. So like he would have actually known the original church planting family for Winthrop Congregational Church. And by the way, it's not in Winthrop Mass. It's in Holbrook Mass. It's named Winthrop Congregational. They got the name of the church before the town picked the name for their town. So Winthrop Congregational Church existed before Winthrop, Massachusetts existed. So it's Winthrop Congregational Church. And just like people go through a life stage, right? Like a bell curve, we're like, we're born, we grow, we plateau, then we start to decline and then we die. Churches and organizations do the exact, same thing, right? They go through life cycles. Even the church that Jesus started with the 12 disciples doesn't exist, right? Like you can't go to that church like with its building, with its address in downtown Jerusalem. It doesn't exist anymore because it went through that same life cycle. But the awesome thing is that that church started a crap ton of other churches which started a whole bunch of other ones that ended up two thousand years getting to birth us. So our great, 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 two thousand great, great, greats, right? Uh grandmama church is the church in Jerusalem, right? Like that's where Christian churches come from, is from the disciples who started spreading out and and starting starting churches. And that church is on the end of their bell curve. So what you want to do is at the end of your bell curve, you you need to do something that starts another one. And so So we we reached out to them and started a relationship. Actually, before that church made the decision to close up, uh, the pastor had reached out to us and said, can you kind of help us turn around a little bit? And uh, for whatever reason, um, uh, not going to go into that, that didn't happen. And finally, they just said, would you guys just kind of like take this and can we help you start a new church here in our town? So Grace Church and Winthrop Congregational Church are tag teaming. Uh, to start, Grace Holbrook. If you live over, in, if you live closer to Holbrook than you do Avon, you need to pray about leaving this one in the name of Jesus. Uh, if that one is where your actual friends would have a better chance to know and to follow Jesus, so it's it's pretty exciting. Um, another cool thing I want to share with you guys is that this year also is the very first time uh, that we have given away over five hundred thousand dollars to to mission projects through this church family. Isn't that amazing? So, like, like, this is the first year, like, between the Hope Project and our regular, so we, 10, 10% of all of our, our, our church's offerings automatically off the top, just like we tithe individually, I do, uh, to God through this church family. Our church, 10% off the top, we give to other, other, other uh, God, kingdom purposes projects, like uh, uh, gospel-centered projects around the world. Uh, and that in, cooper- in, in tandem with your Hope Project offering uh, put us over half a million dollars that we gave away to help other ministries uh, thrive and help more people locally, nationally, and internationally find their way back to God, uh, which is pretty cool. And since the beginning of our church, we've seen over a 1,000 people uh, come to faith in Jesus and be baptized in our church family, which is awesome. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 says that it's a good thing for us to look back and remember all the stuff that God's done. I want you to see that. Isaiah 46, verse 9, sorry, says, remember the things that I have done uh, in the past. Uh, God says, I want you to remember the things that I've done in the past because it gives you confidence that I'm still God. That's what it does. You ever been in a dark place where it doesn't feel like God's anywhere to be seen? You've been in that place? Like you feel like your, your prayers, like I don't like, I feel like I'm talking to myself now. Like I don't even know if I believe in God now, right? Like it just, like you just start getting like, and you start spiraling in that, you start falling down that rabbit hole uh, a little bit. And God says, I want you to remember all the stuff that I've already done. Like turn around and look back at all the different things. Like in the moment, it felt like a coincidence. But then when you look back and it's all these coincidences after coincidence after coincidences, you're like, holy cow, it's probably not a coincidence anymore. <laughs> I think that that's the hand of God. Like we would all say now that that conversation with my neighbor uh, to uh, and her friend in the hospital was definitely used by God for sure because we see all that 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 God's been been doing with all of us since we've been a part of this church family together. Uh, But in the moment, it didn't. I I I don't know. Like it didn't. I didn't. It didn't feel like. like I didn't have like like Jesus never like sat on the end of my bed and tapped my foot and said by the way. You're going to go to the Good Sam's Hospital this week, and I'm going to surprise you with some really cool stuff. It's going to scare the living crap out of you, but I just want you to go with it. It wasn't like that at all. Like, in the moment, I'm just like, I think this is what God wants me to do. I'm not sure. Looking back, though, time for me to be done preaching right there, (laughs) apparently. Um, But but looking back, like, we remember all the things that God has done, and it gives us the confidence to keep going is what it does. But God doesn't intend us to live in the rearview mirror. Looking back uh, is 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 only done. Here's how I wrote it. I said, "Remembering uh, the abundant goodness of God in the past is the fuel to keep you going in your present, uh, and it becomes the motivation to dream bigger dreams in your future." Uh, I remember like it was after our first Easter service. This would have been in Easter 2006. And I think we had like 50 people show up. We're like, "Oh my gosh, this was great." It's like almost as big as that first Sunday. Uh, that first Sunday by the way had 40 extra people because they were Christians from other churches that were friends of ours who just came that first day to cheer us on. And then that next Sunday they just went back to their own church and never came back again. Which is fine. We weren't we've never been trying to take people from from other churches. We that's not the point has always been to give all of our spiritually disconnected friends an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. With us has always always been the point, um, uh, but we that first Easter we go out to dinner afterwards and we're just dreaming. It's like you know it'd be awesome. Like this would be crazy. Like would not it be awesome if someday there were like three hundred people at Grace Church? Like that would be that would be great. We're like ah I don't know if that'll ever happen, but that would be amazing, right? That'd be amazing. And we're like dear God in heaven, like please someday. Uh, let us reach. And the reason why we were dreaming for 300 people is that we knew that if we could get 300 people who were who were not previously in other churches to start following God through faith in Jesus at Grace Church, then some of those 300 people would be the friends that we'd been praying for for years. Like that's what we were excited about, right? It's like that would be that would be absolutely amazing. Um, but God obviously, like I think there's 300 people in this service, right? So God obviously, like He's <laughs> What if you're dreaming too small too? What if what if you're praying baby, baby like like wimpy, puny prayers, right? So I, I genuinely believe, and this is where we're going for the rest of the time today, is I, I really do believe that the last 16 years is set up for the next 16 years. There's no in the way, no, 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 what did I say? However I said that was backwards. There's no way in the world. There's no world in the way, I said. There's no way in the world that everything that God's done, from 16 years ago today, was God was like, okay, that was, yay, you guys are done, right? Because like, we're still here. So I think as long as we keep the main thing, the main thing, God's just going to go, listen, I'm like, this is a flywheel. Like, I'm just getting this thing going. Like, you guys have no clue where I'm, where I'm going to take this right? So if God could sit down with us uh, and and say, here's, and and if Jesus was going to come in and talk to us on our 16th birthday and get us ready for the next 16 years. uh, And by the way, uh, 16 years from now, whoever the pastor is, uh, I'm going to be 67, 16 years from now. I'm 51, that way you don't have to do subtraction. But um, 16 years from now, whoever the lead pastor, I'm still going to be here, I'm just probably at 67. Like, here's the thing. I think I should be the lead pastor as long as I've got more foot on the gas than the brake. Once I start putting more foot on, the more weight on the brake than the gas, that's when I need to hand it off. Are you with me on that? Because, bro, we got freaking work to do. That's what we got. All six states of New England, excuse me, five states of New England, Rhode Island got off the top 10 list. Uh, but but uh, Massachusetts and, and May, uh, New Hampshire, excuse me, Massachusetts and New Hampshire are tied for number one and number two, spiritually uh, least spiritual states in the entire country. Did you guys know that? And the, the top 10 least religious list, the top five are all New England states. So Massachusetts and New Hampshire are tied for number one, so that takes the one and two spot. And then uh, New Hampshire, excuse me, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, Connecticut and Maine are tied for number two, which takes the three and fourth spot. And then the fifth spot is Vermont. So uh, we are number one at being farthest from God. Yay us! Right? So there's there's just still too much. There's too many of our friends. Raise your hand if you have a friend who's still spiritually disconnected from God. Okay, you know when we'll be done? when nobody raises their hand to that question anymore. When Grace Church hit about 300 people, Billy Jane says, you know what I don't like about our church? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> could there be anything you don't like about our church? Hey, blasphemy, woman. I pray against that foul demon of doubt. Um, she said, you know what I don't like about our church anymore? I said, what? She goes, I don't, I, don't, it's so, I don't know everybody anymore. And I get that because she grew up in a church that never got over 85 people. I grew up in a church that never, never got over 200 people. So both of us, that's, that's our entire religious experience. So this I've never been in a church like this before ever either. And then, and then uh, I, I said, but babe, if, if the goal is, is of our church is for everybody to know you and me, then basically what we're saying is that we'll make room for 250 people to connect to God, but everybody else can go to hell. And so I dropped that swear bomb on her and she couldn't even say anything because I used it in the right way. (laughs) But that's true. The goal has never been who can connect to Sean. The goal has always been do we make room for more people to connect to Jesus. That's always been the goal, right? So what would Jesus say to us? So Jesus reached out to each one of his disciples and called them to be his disciple. And then he spent three years mentoring them in that process. And then they were about to enter into a new stage uh, as a group of guys, as a church, Jesus said, I will build my church. So he had started the church. Jesus is the founder of the church, not Peter. Jesus is. In fact, Peter wasn't even the first pastor of the church, by the way. That was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Read the book of Acts. James is the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but then he, he, get, he hands it off to them. And right as they're about to start this, this new stage, uh, he, he pulls them together. And all he does is refocuses in them on the very first conversation he had with them. And that's what I want us to look at. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Luke uh, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So were the fishermen a part of the crowd that day or not? Yes or no? No, they weren't. Jesus was preaching to this crowd. There's a large crowd. It kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. They're pressing in on them. And everybody's standing up, right? So now the people in the back. So he's like, listen, I need some distance and probably had everybody sit down. But then he looks around and he see two dudes or actually we're going to find out the story. There's, there's four of them from two different boats. And they pulled their boats up to the beach there and they're washing their nets. So they're not a part of this service at all. Uh, they'd, they'd been fishing all night long, uh, they work third shift, they're done, they clocked out, they're just cleaning up their workstation so that they can go home and go to bed. Uh, that, that's who those guys are. Uh, but they become the focus here in, the, in this next verse. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, verse 2, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, that was one of the two guys, uh, Simon uh, G becomes a really close friend of Jesus and Jesus gives him a nickname. Does anybody know Simon's nickname? Peter, they named a basilica after him. That's his nickname, by the way. Like his given name, like the, the name his parents gave him was Simon. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but Jesus is the one who gave him the nickname Peter. Um, so as they, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. Now, he's not even a part of this church service, right? So uh, Peter didn't have to do this, right? But everybody's looking at him. He don't want to be a jerk, and everybody thinks he's a horrible person, And this dude that he kind of been listening to a little bit says, hey, man, can I get in your boat? Well, I can't really say no, I guess, but sure. All right, now will you push out? He just wants to go home and go to bed. And and so Jesus asked him to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable. And I think, honestly, uh, when God starts to intersect in each one of our lives, God starts to ask us to do things that pull us out of our comfort zone. He just does. For some of you guys, it was ba- like when you got baptized after becoming a, a follower of Jesus. Like that really pulled you out of your comfort zone to be baptized in front of everybody. Probably no more uncomfortable than what Peter was having to like push out in front of all these people who are now staring at him when Jesus says, kind of get in your boat. And everybody's like, there's a whole lot of attention on this dude right now. So it just, he went through the same like little baby step process that we go through in our walk with God. Uh, so Jesus asked Simon "Is its owner to push it out into the water. This is the end of verse three. So says, Sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. Uh, verse 4 says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. So Peter has this unique opportunity to be sitting right next to Jesus as he's speaking to who knows how many people. So obviously, now he's listening to everything Jesus is saying. He's the captive audience. He can't do anything but listen to what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus, when he's done with his sermon, uh, disperses the crowd and says to Peter, hey, can we go out a little bit deeper and drop the nets? And Peter's the professional fisherman here, not Jesus. He's a carpenter, right? So, so Peter's like, listen, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. That's actually what Peter says. He says, uh, Master, Simon replied, uh, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. Like I, like we already we already did this, man, and this is the middle of the day. Fish, like they're not at the top, they go deeper. So the nets, we fish when the fish are up top. We throw out our nets, then we, we haul them in. There wasn't anything, guarantee there's not going to be uh, anything. anything now. What I want to point out, though, is that he called Jesus Master. Now this is... When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four different narratives of the life of Jesus. When somebody comes to Jesus out of respect, but doesn't believe that he's the Messiah, uh, that they don't believe that he is who Isaiah said would be the baby boy who would be born who would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, born as a baby, right, the Messiah. Uh, they called him Master. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, he said, Rabbi, is what he said. So they'll say, Master, Teacher, Rabbi. It's like, I'd, you're a respected person. I'm going to give you your title of respect, uh, but I'm, I'm not all about this life yet. So you're over there. I'm over here. And so he says, Master. you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. He says, uh, we didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Verse six, and this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, oh, what did he call him now? Boom, changed his mind about Jesus. Right there, oh Lord. Now that's that's what happens. You, you see the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, Jesus says to her, he says, uh, you know, he says uh, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all walk away. And then Jesus stands up and he says, where are your accusers? Uh, and then she says, there are none. Lord is what she called him. Um, Lord is that now you are, I know who you are, you are, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, you are God in the flesh as the son, like I, I know who you are, so now Peter is like, he's completely changed his mind about Jesus, and he says, oh Lord, please leave me, I'm such a sinful man, sin, where did sin come in the conversation, we're just fishing, maybe Peter was listening, right, right, Peter's listening a little bit to all this stuff, and now when he's out in the boat with Jesus, he had to listen to the rest of that sermon. Now everything's falling into place. Homeboy repents of his sin. Jesus, you are my Lord. Verse 9, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Anybody ever hear of Peter, James, and John? Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. Peter. Anybody? Anybody? Me and three people? Thanks, jerks. Everybody's leaving me hanging. Sunday school song from way back in the day, or CCD song, you might have remembered. Uh, His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for what? You're going to be fish for people, right? And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. From then on, you'll be fishing for men. Matthew 4 is describing the same conversation. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he puts it this way. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So this is the first of three things I think Jesus would remind us uh, this morning uh, on our 16th birthday, our sweet 16th birthday. What Jesus would say is, uh, I turn people into fishermen. That's what I do. Jesus turns people into fishermen. Peter was an ordinary guy with an ordinary job, and Jesus wanted him to see his ordinary life in an unordinary way. And maybe God wants to do the same thing for you. You're an ordinary person with an ordinary life, with an ordinary job, right? But maybe God created you for something completely extra ordinary. Like, what, what, if, what, if, what if you are underestimating you? I think you are. Peter thought the rest of his life would be spent on that beach fixing nets to catch fish, and Jesus goes, "Bro, <laughs> I got way bigger dreams for you, kid. Me as a pastor on our first Easter service, dear God, someday let us have let us see three hundred of our friends come to faith in Jesus. That would be awesome. I think God's going, <laughs> I got way bigger dreams for your kids, for you kids, right?" And what if you're like, hey, God, just let me retire on time with enough money to make it until I die? And I think God's going, ha ha ha, I got way bigger dreams for you, kid. Right? Like, what if God wanted you to do more than make money? What if he wanted you to make a difference? Like, would you be down for that? Because I really, like, I don't think there's a single person in this room that God intends to live the rest of your life ordinary. Like, whatever trajectory you're on, like, you might still walk that path career-wise. You still might, I mean, go to that college or marry that person. I just, I just think there's so much more under that that God's trying to do. Jesus makes people into fishermen. You may be under, underestimating your life also. And you you were made for more than making meant to do more than make money. You're to, you're to make a difference. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirty one says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So what is it that you do? Whatever you eat, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's the path that you need to be on. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do that for the glory of God. So what is it that you do? Uh, you play soccer. You go to school. Um, you date. Are you hoping to find someone to date? Uh, You study. uh, You you go into the trade. You go to college. You you get a job. uh, You get married. You earn a living. You climb the ladder. You manage your assets. You start having kids. You play with your family. You save up for retirement. What would it look like if you still did all of those things, but you just did them for a different reason? What would change? How could you leverage your life as a teacher for the glory of God? How could you leverage your life as a cop for the glory of God? As a nurse? What if God wanted you to mend more than just physical wounds? Right? Like as a sales manager? As a truck driver? As an entrepreneur trying to build your Etsy store? Right? As a TikToker? What, if you did, like, what would it look like for you to do that for the glory of God? You're a student athlete. You're a musician. You're an eighth grader. You're a single man. You're a single woman. You're an empty nester. I'm an empty nester. Moment of silence. I'm mourning. <laughs> what would it look like to be who you are but for something bigger? What if you cared more for the people around you the things you did in your life with the people around you? What would that look like? That brings me to the second thing. So the number one thing is God makes his followers, his people, into fishermen, is what he does. The second thing I think Jesus would want you to remember is that fishermen focus on fish. The focus isn't the boat. Like, this is the boat. But this isn't Fishermen weren't made for the boat. They're made for the freaking fish, right? They weren't made to come back to the lodge or to the yacht club or to the, I don't know where the, the, where the fishermen hang. And I'm thinking the pub, right? I don't know. It's communion wine, though, so it's okay. But you come back to the, like, I don't, like, we weren't made for, we weren't, we weren't made for that. Like, we're, we're, we were made for the fish. And our focus needs to always be on the fish. I don't know why it is, but it does seem like the longer somebody's a Christian, the less likely they are to hang out with the people that their Christian faith was intended to benefit. Why is that? Jesus was known as a friend of publicans and sinners because he hung out with who? Publicans and sinners. The longer we're Christians, the more we insulate ourselves with everybody that believes exactly like we do. And the less we actually look like Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Our focus is on the fish. Mark chapter 1, verse 17 says, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Jesus calls them to follow him, but his call to follow him leads you to focus on those who do not follow him. Notice that Jesus did not say, follow me and I'll show you how to vote differently. Although if you look at some Christians' Facebook page, it seems like that's the point Jesus wants to get everybody to. He didn't say, follow me and I'll show you how to retire comfortably. Follow me, and I'll show you how to become TikTok famous. Follow me, and I'll help you become the best version of you. Now, maybe you will vote differently if you become a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know how you vote now. So may, I do hope that your faith does affect the way you vote. I think it should affect every area of your life, right? Um, and maybe you will retire comfortably, or maybe you will become TikTok famous, and maybe you will become the best version of you, but I think it will be as a result Of you doing everything that you're doing for the glory of God. Not in competition with it. For Peter, fishing was about putting food on his table. And for you, getting an education was about getting a better job. Physical fitness and nutrition is about you becoming healthier. Your financial literacy is about living a more comfortable life. And church is about making you a better person. But what if all of that, if lived for the glory of God, was more as a tool to bring others to faith in Jesus than to make your life better? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20 says, and all of this, verses 1 through 17, by the way, says all the stuff that God has done on our behalf. Verse 18 says, and God has done all of that, like all of that was a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Jesus, and God has given us the task. Now, those of us who've come back to Jesus, God has given us the task of reconciling, um, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them because of what Jesus has done. By the way, until you turn from your sin to begin following Jesus, your sins are counted against you because, bro, you're the one that did them. And on judgment day, it doesn't matter how many good deeds you do from now until the day you die. When you stand before God and he says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my commands? You're going to say guilty. You say, yeah, but I did all this other stuff. That's not the question. The question is, are you innocent or guilty? And you're guilty. So am I. We've all broken the commandments. And if God is good, he can't let guilty people off the hook. The district judges in in Dedham, if they let guilty convicts go free, we wouldn't say that's a good judge. We'd say he's crooked. So why would we hold our county court judges to a higher standard than what God would? So on judgment day, if you're guilty, you will pay for your sins and so will I. And that's just that's justice. That's good, and that's right, and that's holy, and that's fair. But what's awesome is that because God is also love, he would let somebody innocent take your place, which means I can't help you because I've got my own sins to pay for. That's why you needed Jesus, right? Only Jesus lived without ever breaking any of God's laws. The Jews don't claim, make that claim for Moses. And our Muslim friends don't make that claim about Muhammad. Only Jesus lived this life without breaking any of God's laws. He's the only one who's innocent. He's the only one that's earned immunity with God for judgment. And he offers that immunity to you in exchange he has to take on your guilt. Now, if Jesus is just a man, then that one man's life would cover one other man's life. But if he is, like Isaiah said, the man who would be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God and the everlasting Father as man, then how many of mankind's life is God's life worth? All of them. That's why you need Jesus. That's what it means that God was, in Christ, reconciling the entire world to himself, no longer counting their sins against them because Jesus took them for you. I said to a... Actually, I was at a retreat this weekend, yesterday morning after the first session. I was the guest speaker after it. A Jewish guy walked up to me, and he said, He's crying. He's a grown man. He's he's moved by God's spirit, and he says, I have sinned against against God and against my family, and I don't know how to fix it. I said, bro, you can't because it's on the inside. That's why you need Jesus, right? I said, if I have a credit card, and I have enough on my balance to pay for your entire meal, and I offer to pay for your meal, I don't actually get to pay for your meal until you give me your receipt. Now I can pay for your meal. Jesus, God was in Christ, reconciling the entire world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. His credit card, bro, it's a gold, platinum, sparkly, unicorn dust credit card. It's got everything. And he'll pay off the debt. You just have to give him your receipt. That's how God is in Christ, paying off the debts of all of mankind. That's what that verse says. So now we are Christ's ambassadors. Look at this next phrase. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. What's the next two verses? Next two words? God is making his appeal. So who does God reach others through? Yeah, that's how you're a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman because I'm a pastor. I'm a fisherman because I'm a child of God. And I'm no more responsible to be a fisherman than you are. Because you have friends, co-workers, classmates, teammates, roommates, suite mates, dorm mates. (laughs) Uh, Now now, now I'm thinking, uh, what's what's the uh, coffee mate? You have coffee mate? Sorry, that's a French vanilla. That's the best. How many of those people does God want to come to faith in Jesus? And guess who he sent? Like if you're the first person in your entire family to come to faith in Jesus, when God looked at everybody in your family, wanting all of them to turn from sin and follow him, and then God had to decide who's the first person to rescue that gives everybody else the best chance, he picked you? You guys are like, homeboy screwed up. (laughs) You give all of your friends the best chance because if God is ever going to appeal to them, it's going to be through who? You, like your education wasn't just so that you could get a better job. You met people at college that you're still friends with that God wants to appeal to, right? Like the place where you work now isn't just a place where you put in time or, or put in work so that they give you cash. Like there's people that you put in time with. There's people that you serve. There's businesses that you help. And like every single one of those people, God is wanting to make an appeal to. And guess who's gonna make that appeal to them through? I know, and that's scary as crap, isn't it? It's, it's, it's terrifying. My life, every bit of it is a tool to be used to appeal to others to come back to God. What others? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. How many people does God want to be saved and understand the truth? How many? Every one of them. Every one of your friends, God wants to be saved and understand the truth. See, I, me, me and uh, me and Kenny Cutts, we play at the Y right? Oh, and uh, there's another guy in our church who plays with uh, 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 Jay. Uh, me, Ken, Jay. Uh, Keith Ford used to play there. Carlos used to play there. Now Carlos is using his shoulder as an excuse not to play ball anymore. But I'm not in that old man league. Just I'm not in that old man league. I say it's old man. It's 35. 35. They're kids still, right? I've been in that league for 16 years. I really have. And I'm not in that league just to stay fit because you guys know that ain't working. But I'm in, I'm in that league strategically. Like everywhere I'm at, I'm, I'm aware that I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a single fisherman out in the middle of this lake. And every single fish in the water, God wants to be caught. I don't know how many of these people I'm going to connect with. But I'm constantly aware that that's always in the back of my head. The way that I treat them is either drawing them closer to God or pushing them farther away. Um, how will your best friend get saved? Through you. How will people in Holbrook get saved? Us starting this church over there. How people in Randolph get saved, us helping Jay Jay Cross get started up there. And that brings me to the third and final thing, and that's this. We don't stop fishing until all the fish are caught. Some of us haven't started yet, though, because we're afraid we don't know enough yet. Right? Like, we're afraid to fish for men because I don't don't know. Like, what if they have a question that I don't know? I'm going to tell you right now. You just say, I don't know. You're allowed to say, I don't know. Right? I've got two fishing poles here. Uh, this one dropped on the way out here, so it's a little bit broken. Um, but these two fishermen, this, this, this fishing pole is made for what? What is this made for? That's made for kids. Uh, would a professional angler use this fishing pole? Probably not. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would, a professional angler would do this either. Like, you're a real fisherman. You're going, that just looks nice, but it's a cheap blah, 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 blah. You know stuff about fishing, fishing poles. I don't, I don't even care. All right, anyway. But this is like a grown-up fishing pole, and this is a little kid fishing pole. Uh, like, 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 the better of a fisherman you are, the more you're going to go from this pole to this pole. Uh, but which pole catches fish? Which? Just put your freaking hook in the water. Are you with me? Who catches fish? Brand new Christians or experienced Christians? Both. Andrew was actually the first person to bring somebody to Jesus. Not Peter. It was Peter's little brother, Andrew. He goes and gets this guy, Nathan, and says, dude, I don't know everything, but you need to come meet the dude who does. And he brought him to Jesus and became a disciple, right? Like, then there's the woman at the well. She was sexually immoral. She was sexually immoral. And Jesus calls her out on it. And then she goes, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> right? But then he says, like, the same thing to her. I don't condemn you. But stop, right? Stop. And then she goes back and brings out her whole town. Like she hadn't even memorized John 3.16 yet. And she brings her whole town. The demon-possessed dude in Matthew chapter 8, Mark 5, and, and Luke 8. The, the, two, the two nude dudes. That, that's a great story, by the way. Two naked demon-possessed guys. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Wish you had a video of it. No, I don't. That'd be inappropriate. <laughs> Right, well, that dude been he's 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 healed from being demon possessed. Tries to get in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus says, "No, get out of the boat. I want you to go back into the town where you came from. Go back into Decapolis and tell everybody what I did for you." That's all he knew. He didn't know everything about Jesus. He just knew what Jesus had done for him. Here's the thing: you're an expert on your story. I ain't. I can't tell your story. Who is an expert on what God has done in your heart? That's what you share. And the next time Jesus went back to Decapolis, that was a feeding of the four thousand. Where those four thousand people come from? The naked demon possessed dude. They were all wearing clothes, though. Which <laughs> is a good thing. Uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse 30, thirty-six. When he Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I bet you that's what Jesus says about Stoughton. I think when Jesus. Sees the 35 and older league at the Y. He feels nothing but love and compassion for every one of those guys. Where they have healthy marriages or unhealthy marriages. Where they're divorced or single or got kids, no kids. Talk to their kids, don't talk to their kids. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. That's everybody in Avon. Who's not following Jesus? That's everybody in Brockton who's not following Jesus. It's everybody in Randolph and Holbrook and all up and down Route 24 and around 128 and down Route 3 and 95, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus doesn't hate them, He's thinking, loves them. He wants every single one of them to be saved and to understand the truth, 100% of them. So then Jesus says to the disciples, verse 37 The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask Him to send more workers into the fields. What if the prayer was, the lake is gigantic and there's not enough fishermen or fish in boats? Pray that the Lord of the lake would call more fishermen to build more boats to go catch more fish. We don't focus on the number of fish already in the boat because there's still so many more fish still in the lake. Grace Church can't be done now. You know why Grace Church can't be done? <clears throat> because most of my friends in i are still disconnected from God. And if they die disconnected from God, they enter eternity the same way. Disconnected from God. And bro, I can't be okay with that. And neither can you. I asked you to raise your hands a minute ago if you had a friend who's disconnected from God. You realize that if your friend dies in a car accident today, They enter eternity disconnected from God for all of eternity. Like that has to be the last thing you think about when you go to bed at night. The first thing you think about when you wake up, dear God, rescue my friends. Some of you, it's your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents. But pray. Pray. That's what Jesus said. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will create more boats and more fishermen. Dang it, you're a fisherman and you got a fishing pole. Fish. So here's what I want you to do. In your seat, you were given a fishing lure. Grab your fishing lure. It took six people about five hours to cut 4,000 treble hooks off of 2,000 fishing lures. We had some, we had, we have treble hooks all over the carpet in the office. Don't walk in there barefoot. You will die. But we did. We cut off all the trouble hooks off of all of these. And uh, here's what I want you to do with your fish. And if you don't like the fish you've got, we got two bowls of fish back on the table that have the giving boxes. Go back there and like my fish is ugly. Then grab a pretty one. So you're like, I ain't gonna carry that. That's a stupid looking one. You're missing the whole point. What I want you to do is, uh, I, I, want, I want, this is, a, this is a, like, a, like an education. It's, this, is a, this is a carryover, right? It's what it is. It's a takeaway. Uh, I want you to put this in your pocket or your purse. That's what I want you to do, put it in your pocket or your purse. And I've been carrying mine all week. I'm going to keep carrying it. And I want you to carry it for the rest of your life until you lose it. If you lose it, you lose it. And what I want you to do is every time you feel the fish and lure in your pocket, I ask you, to, how many of you guys have two friends that are spiritually disconnected from God? Raise your hand, everybody. Raise your hand. Put your hand down when you can think of both of their names. All right. Every time you stick your hand in your pocket or you reach into your purse, pocketbook, my bad, and you see that fish in lure, I want you to pray for one of your two friends to come to faith in Jesus. And I want you to know that God already started answering that prayer when he made you their friend. Isn't it cool? But you keep praying for them. So we did this on the back of our front door in our house. When we first moved in to Seaver Street, we had a, a three-by-five card. We drew our street. We drew a square where our house is, and we put us. We put a square across the street where Glenn and Tiffany lived, a square next to them where Savannah and her daughter Monique and her grandkids, um, Paris and... I forgot the other kid's name. Didn't know him was... Uh, Crad starts with a T. I'll think of it in between services. And I'll, or I'll be walking off stage, the band will be up, and I'll want to run out and grab the mic and go, hey, I remember that kid's name. Don't worry about it, Jesus knows his name. Um, and I started putting I put squares where all the other houses were. And as we found out people's names, uh, we would write their name in the little square. Um, and we became friends. They had no idea that we were praying for them all the time. It's not like, hey, I've been praying for you to come to know and follow Jesus with the rest of your life and I'm fishing for you. (laughs) You want to get in my boat? (laughs) Please don't do that. In the name of Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that at all, right? But we, we just started praying for him and just making friends. And by God's grace, here we are all these years, 16 years later, our neighbors in front of us, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Neighbors behind us, Ben and Mary, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Neighbors in Corner behind us, Carlos and Michelle, saved and baptized at, church, at Grace Church. Carlos is on our church's board, by the way. Across the street, three doors down, David and Michelle Massarelli, saved and baptized at Grace Church. Across the street, next door, Savannah and her grandson, Paris. That's why I don't remember the other kid's name, because Paris and, and, and his grandma, Savannah, saved and baptized at Grace Church. The neighbors over here are Portuguese. They don't speak English. If they're ever going to follow Jesus, I've got to learn Portuguese. But dang it, I can't get past the Spanish that's already in my head, right? And then by God's grace, like half of our neighbors have come to faith in Jesus and been baptized here at Grace Church, which is, which is awesome. And um, I was none of their pastors. I was just their friend. It's I'm their friend. Everybody talks about religion. Everybody does. Atheists are obsessed with it, right? That's all they talk about. It's just nobody wants to talk about religion with somebody they're not cool with. Your job is just to be the person they're cool with. You can do that. And every conversation I ever had with my neighbors, my goal wasn't to convert them. That's Jesus' goal. My goal is just to keep the conversation going. That's it. That's all we ever did. So I didn't have an advantage. It's not like, well, you have an advantage because you were their pastor. I wasn't. I was just their neighbor. I was just their neighbor who was a friend who happened to be a follower of Jesus. So they came to faith in Jesus, not as me as a pastor, but me as a Christian. You just have to live intentionally, looking for opportunities. Keep the conversation going. Let's pray for him before we go. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for everything that you've done. But God, I know That is just the warm-up for everything that you're going to do. God, thank you for the number of our friends and family who have actually become devoted followers of Jesus, whose hearts have been reconciled to you, reconciled to others, even marriages that you've fixed, right? Relationships that you've restored, brokenness in our hearts that you've healed, wounds from our past that that you healed also. God, I'm I'm thankful that aimless lives have found purpose, and you're, you're making us more like Jesus. I'm thankful for all of those stories, but God, I want to pray for my actual two friends. I'm not going to name them now because they're friends of mine in Stoughton, but you know exactly who I'm praying for, and I pray, God, that they would have the opportunity to be saved and to understand the truth, and God, I am asking for more fishermen for the lake, and I'm asking for more boats to be put in the lake. I'm you said to pray this, and that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for my other neighbors. I don't know which ones of them are followers of Jesus and which aren't yet. You do, and God, if you'd be pleased to use me in any way, I am volunteering. God, you've got every area of my life. Help me to rearrange everything, everything, every part of me around the mission of helping others come to know and to follow Jesus. That's my that's my purpose. That's, that's the purpose of everybody in this room. Our jobs just put food on the table so that we keep, keep doing our purpose, our mission, which is fishing for men. God, for those in here who are fish still, who have not been caught, and if that's you, your prayer is Jesus. I'm giving you my receipt. Pay my bill too. I accept your death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that pays for my sin, and I need it. God, forgive me and save me. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Can you make that your prayer? Can you make it? God, save me from my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I am in your your boat. Let's roll. In Jesus' name we pray this and we all say together, amen.